0: Podcast this week, we talked to Romola Gary about making her directorial debut with the creepy horror Amulet. Oh. Plus, we discover, much to our relief, that while Reacher may say nothing, Alan Richson, the man who plays him in the new Prime Video series, does not. All that and more on the movie podcast that doesn't have attachments or possessions. We just walk from town to town, righting wrongs, holding nothing more than a passport, an ATM card, a folding toothbrush and a life-size standee of Timothy Oliphant. Hello Pod, I'm Chris (laughs) Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast, episode 499 folks. Episode 499. Can you believe such a thing? We are one away from episode 500. We will be talking about that later in the show. Uh, It's very, very exciting. We're just eight days away now. Nine, technically, I guess. Nine away from episode 500. Uh, Am I fully prepared? (laughs) 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 That's a really good question. One I will tackle later on. But for the time being, we're focused fully on episode 499, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined by three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Geek Queen, Helen O'Hara. Hello. The best-dressed man in film journalism, Amon Warman. Hello. And last but not least, well, very last, because he's just arrived <laughs> because of tech issues, great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. Hello.
1: <laughs> Hi, Jimbo, what was wrong? Uh, it was a bit like Mitchell's versus the machines in my house this morning. It all went. The dark harvest began. It was it was absolute chaos. But, uh, were you trying to log on in Spanish and you couldn't? Understand the <laughs> there was a dog. There was a pig. There was a loaf of bread. It all went dog, pig, up, pig, dog, I got pig, there pig, in dog, the Big
0: dog, bread. It's all fine now. There were. It's, yes. it's all fine. Now. You sent uh, text messages to the WhatsApp group that you and I and Helen have, uh, and you simply said incoming followed a minute later by tech issues, followed a minute later simply by the word Chrome. And I thought for a second, <laughs> you might be trying to activate the Winter Soldier. <laughs> did it work? <laughs> I don't know, we'll find out. Boxcar in 17. <laughs> Fahrenheit. Homecoming. Homecoming. <laughs> oh, I was
1: actually going, I was going a bit AI. I was trying to get the computer to bond with me on an emotional level uh, by reading out the necessary <laughs> keywords, but it, it doesn't work. It still fucking hates me. Uh, but it did let me in in the end.
0: What did you do? You be going computer, make Empire podcast happen. Computer, activate Empire podcast.
1: Yeah, it was, bit, it was basically yeah, it's exactly like that. It was Scotty in the voyage home? I'm like computer. you like talking into the bottom of the mouse.
0: Computer. I
1: was having none of it.
0: I know Google Chrome like the back of my hand. Bang. Great joke. Episode five. Episode five. That's not episode five. What do they call in Star Trek. Chapter five. Part five. Part five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part Wait,
1: five. there's a good bit part five? Bit in part, is, five. No, part five is the worst. Part like, five is genuinely the Genuinely the worst. I know
0: it's the worst, yeah. but it's the one with the great joke. I know less shit, I'd lay back on my hand. Boom. Bangs his head on the ceiling. It's good. Huh. Shatner's okay. finest hour directing that one. <laughs> he really did shat the bed in on that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Look, we love
2: him. Can we, in this house, we love and respect William Shatner. Come we, on. we We Come love on.
0: and respect William Shatner. Of course we do, but we can acknowledge the man has made mistakes. Like going into space on Jeff Bezos' giant penis. <laughs> yeah. No, that wasn't a He got to go into space. None of us have ever done that. None of us have ever done that. That
1: is fair. That is fair. But as we all know, Helen, we don't need to go to the moon, because the
0: moon is coming to us!
1: <laughs> uh, one week to go! One one week. Week.
0: Have you seen this new thing? I want to get into it. I, this, is, this is going to be a quick record, genuinely quick record, because Amon has to leave in just over an hour, so we're going to race through stuff as quickly as possible. But I first want to say, did you see the tie-in, the Moonfall tie-in they released this week, that you can get the watch that Patrick Wilson wears in the film? It is called the Moonwatch. And I, I don't pretend <laughs> to go for, for fancy he watches you know everything the bond has just leaves me cold it's so expensive anyway but mm. i want patrick wilson's moon watch i think more than i've ever wanted anything in my entire life
2: but that <laughs> does sound fun actually and like it everything like that has to do with with space sounds better though like astronaut ice cream always sounded great even though it's just freeze-dried you know sugar mm.
1: you said that like it's a bad thing but carry on
2: it's true that's true um but, you know, it, it just, like, it has that exoticism about it. And you remember all those, those you know, fun, funky pens you see adverts for in the paper going, oh, NASA designed this so it can write in zero gravity. And you think to yourself, I could use that in case gravity ever stops working. <laughs> and the Russians used a pencil, I'm just saying.
1: Isn't it? Isn't it the core, the film where the Earth's core stops rotating yes. or something and all the mm-hmm. birds yes, James,
3: start the, falling the, out
0: of the sky? That, that is the subject of the core.
3: I you watched that the other oh, day. Oh, i got time for that film. Doug Lindo is also really? in that film.
1: Yes. Yes, it's, but it, that's, it, the it, that's the it. film that trademarked Unobtainium, that James Cameron yeah. then ripped off for Avatar. <laughs> lawyers, lawyers, I should, I should clarify. I do not genuinely believe he ripped off <laughs> Unobtainium for Avatar. I'm simply saying the core got there first.
2: I, I think Unobtainium is a long-standing sci-fi concept, actually. I feel like. I'm pretty sure.
0: It's actually pronounced unobtainium, but uh, let's not get into that. Uh, listen, uh, we, I could sit around and talk about men's fashions and unobtainium, unobtainium all day. Yeah, it has been around since
2: the 1950s. So, it, um, you know, James so Cameron didn't steal from the core. The core stole from other places. So was James Cameron. That's... There you go. So Fascinating.
0: <laughs> Good wow. I'm guessing. I'm guessing he was born in the 1950s. Uh, am I right? Well, I'm not sure. Should Good we look one. it up? I oh,
1: can can open. Leonopteryx is everywhere. <laughs>
0: All right, this is real quick because we want to get into the listener question. Not least because we've got a lot to get through in this episode. 1954.
2: And as I say, 1954.
0: Holy shit. There you go. Hmm. Boom. Boom. Which came first, the James Cameron chicken or the unobtainium egg? Maybe we'll answer that question in a future episode, because right now we're going to answer this week's listener question. Amon doesn't know what this is. Uh, I'm going to spring it on. I have no idea. Yes, you do. It was well, in the text I, the- I sent over to you <laughs> yeah. earlier on this morning. I-, I have literally been in
1: meetings back to back since about half eight this morning. I've Oh, because there's at never a
2: chance to look at a, a tweet in a meeting.
4: Or I'm a professional, When have you, tell you.
1: <laughs> ever been dedicated to a meeting? <laughs> I mean, in in my in my I was about to say in my defence. It's not in my defence. I was actually doing other things in every single one of these meetings. I was actually, actually writing stuff for the next episode of Pilot yes. recording this afternoon. Uh, okay. But I didn't think to check my text messages.
0: That's all right. Okay, because you know yeah. we're we're not the most devoted to meetings. You and I, uh, for example, no. I'm going to tell you right now. You have a meeting scheduled at four o'clock. I am hey. not going to be there. But anyway, that's. <laughs> You shocked me. I am shocked, I tell you. Shocked. That's mainly because I have four podcasts to edit today and That's there's only fair. so much uh, It won't be time that interesting, I promise you that. To, to, no, it really won't be. Uh, uh, anyway, so the question comes from at Film Versus Book. Uh, hi, hi, Amanda. Who I believe Hello, is is known to, well, all of us uh, and uh, is professionally linked with Helen. Helen is in the pocket of big Film Versus Book. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, but the question is a one. After listening to James's 10-minute monologue about the brilliance of the expanse, and that's yes. on the Pilot TV podcast where his his monologue was 10 minutes long, I cut his monologue down to about 45 seconds on the <laughs> <episode> <laughs> podcast. Uh, but anyway, Amanda goes on to say a possible podcast question for the team occurs to me. If you were to attempt just a minute, what would your topic of choice be? Now, for people who don't know what just a minute is, it is a long-running Radio 4 comedy panel show type thing, very, very famous, was hosted by the late, great Nicholas Parsons for many, many, many years. Basic idea is that the panelists are given a subject at random usually, and the idea is that they talk for a minute, uninterrupted on that subject. And there are things that you cannot do, you, so the other people can challenge them on this. So uh, repetition is a big thing. So you can't just simply say, James Cameron is a director of Aliens, uh, which which came out in 1986, and then in 1986, whenever you, that's kind of repetition, uh, you can't do hesitations, so stumbling, pauses, ums, ers, as that sort of thing. Really? You have to talk Ooh. very, very eloquently for one minute, uninterrupted. There's another rule I can't quite remember, but that's basically the general idea. So the idea is that we each take a subject that we love and see if we can talk about it for a minute uninterrupted, uh, without repetition, without hesitation, and without being challenged by James, quite frankly, because he will try and set <laughs> you at every opportunity. So I think this could be, could be really fun. Now, of course, on just a minute, the topics are completely and utterly random. So I was wondering if we each nominated the topic that we'd love to talk about, and then someone else had to talk about that topic. Would that be more fun than that? Or would it be just a challenge to see if we could do it? Oh, i I thought of one for you, Chris.
2: I absolutely can't do it. And I don't like competition. And I don't understand why we keep having to no, co- compete true. in these ridiculous... Ways,
0: But Helen, like, you keep winning these competitions.
2: No, I don't. No, I don't. And I don't you're, like them you're even a barista. when I
0: win. You're a barista. You're trained to talk. Mm. We could each of us suggest one for
1: you to do, and you have to do all of them. Uh, and each one of us will give you a minute to talk about a thing. Me? Yes. Oh, Helen. You. No, you.
0: <laughs> you. You, you. always make like us to
1: I'm, do I'm, things. I'm, I'm, no, no, I've no. no I'm going to do I'm it. I'm bailing her out of this. I'm going to do it, but you all have to do it as well. You should do it three times. <laughs> <laughs> Once for each of us, we will each give you a topic, and you have to see if you can complete a full minute on that topic. I think this is a much better game.
3: <laughs> I concur. I
1: Hoist really by your concur. own retard. This is a 3 facts structure come back to haunt me, isn't it? it is. yeah. Yeah. It's the 3 twat monologue or something. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my word. All right. Who wants it. to go first? All right. Shall I go first?
2: Yes. Okay. Okay. Chris, Great. I would
1: like you to speak for one minute. <laughs> without hesitation. Without, without hesitation, repetition. without repetition or scorn on the subject of the Pilot TV podcast.
0: <laughs> wait, have we
2: got have we got a timer? Do I need wait a, minute, a timer? Wait a
0: minute. Wait a minute. Wait okay. a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.
1: As an avid listener, this should be very easy for you. I've got to Google the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Deviation. So, you, okay, it's without hesitation, without repetition, or without deviation. So, by that means, you know, I can't just suddenly start talking about something completely unrelated to the pilot TV podcast Correct. and yeah, pad out a yeah. minute. Mm-hmm. But I can embark on a surreal flight of fancy. Shoot that! <laughs> that is true. Shoot that possess me.
2: So, when are we starting?
0: <laughs> okay, I've got a Who timer you, here. You've got a timer. Can you show? I have. Can, you, can you hold it up on, on the camera? Okay, hang on a second. Fuck you, motherfuckers. You can start by apologising for stealing, stealing Alan Richardson from the Pilot TV podcast, but carry on going. Uh, well, mm, we're ready. We're not getting into that. We ready? <laughs> All right. Three,
2: two, one.
0: The Pilot TV podcast is a. It's an audio form of entertainment that is brought to you by Bauer Media, which is a a, a giant media conglomeration that uh, also owns things like Empire Magazine, Mojo Magazine, Grazia Magazine, and Heat Magazine. Reputation of Magazine. It, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> that is that it owns a number of beloved magazines such as Empire, Mojo, Grazia and Heat. Uh, It is hosted, for want of a better word, by (laughs) James Dyer, who has co-hosts such as Boyd Hilton, Beth Webb, the dearly departed, not that she's dead, she just (laughs) left, Terry White uh, and occasionally Chris Hewitt, who will turn up for recording Turn up the knobs. Uh, sit down and talk about Blue Bloods for a while. Uh, it is a, a successful podcast, despite being a complete and utter rip off of the <laughs> Empire winning. podcast. Uh, Award winning, <laughs> mainly because. They entered an award that we didn't, but that's okay. That's a minute.
4: i understand <laughs> good. Wow,
1: well, you went that's... full full listy there. I've published such <laughs> other <laughs>
0: luminary magazines as uh, no. Mojo. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Hesitation, repetition, deviation. Didn't do any of that shit. There's oh, nothing about listing.
2: hesitation, but we let you away with it. There's,
0: right. there's nothing about because I am deviant. a deviant. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's next? Who's next?
2: Oh, we're not doing all doing them for you?
1: Oh we are. Like I think you can fine. pick a subject for Chris. In, in
2: that case, in that case, my subject for Chris is women versus Hollywood, the fall and rise of women in film. <laughs> Which Chris
1: will know very well from having read it multiple
2: times. Multiple times, yes.
0: <laughs> I don't the like pa- this idea.
2: The, pa- <laughs> the, <This laughs> the paperbacks on Thursday, guys. Paperbackside <laughs> on Thursday. Ready? Perfect. Three, two, one
0: Women versus Hollywood. <laughs> the fall and rise of Women in Film, is the title of a book which is just about to come out in paperback in all good bookstores. So go and rush and get your copy right now, folks. It is written by Helen O'Hara. Helen O'Hara, of course, is the co-host of the Beloved Empire podcast, which is the podcast that came many years before the Pilot TV <laughs> podcast, which is a... An audio form of entertainment uh, by Bauer Media, a giant media conglomeration that owns many oh beloved magazines, <laughs> such as Heat I know, you can't take repetition from another one. Ah. Grazia, and of course, Mojo. It is hosted, for want of a better word, by James Dyer, alongside his co-hosts, Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb, and of course, the dearly departed, Terry White. Not that she died, she just left Terry White. And occasionally, Chris Hill will come along, uh, walk into the studio turn up the knobs and sit down and talk about Blue Bloods. There's a minute. Thank you very much indeed. Fuck you. <laughs> I do, of course, <laughs> applaud you
1: bringing everything back to the Pilot TV podcast, which is something
0: I do <laughs> understand. Oh but, my uh... god, you're playing the long game. You, James is playing 4D chess. <laughs> Here. Alright, okay. At the risk, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how entertaining this is for the listeners, but let's have one more. <laughs> come it's,
2: on,
3: come Amon. On. It's making me chuckle. Alright, my topic for you, Christopher Hewitt. I want you yes, to talk Amon Keith about Amon. Amon. I would like you to talk about Batman's no-kill.
2: <laughs> Ooh. You'd like bringing this back to the Pilot TV podcast. <laughs> Actually, if you think about it, logically, you should really bring this back to Women versus Hollywood. But anyway, uh, okay, ready? Three, two, one.
0: Batman's one rule is very very simple. The Cape Crusader, the Dark Knight, the the Batman himself, Bruce Wayne, billionaire playboy <laughs> genius philanthropist, uh, has a very very simple maxim that he applies to his life as the KO repetition as, they talk, <laughs> yo, uh, as the Targo, as Gotham's crusader of justice. Can we do that? Yes, we can. Uh, I think which a crusader, that, but okay. Sh- okay, okay, Well, let it go. Uh, which is that uh, he does not kill under any circumstances. Now, this is something that goes all the way back to the early days of the comic book, created, of course, by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. There's a 1940 edition of the comic book where Batman says, We do not kill under any circumstances uh, to the young boy that he has kidnapped and made his ward. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and they don't do that but of course Batman has killed in various iterations of media over the years most recently and most famously perhaps the Ben Affleck version of the character in Zack Snyder's Batman vs. Superman colon Dawn of Justice and of course Zack Snyder's Justice League has killed people and has made Amon very very unhappy <laughs> there we are oh,
1: oh. <laughs> so, how is this entertainment how are we feeling <laughs> about the <being laughs> new regular which will be appearing in every Empire <laughs> course, going forward well, until we
0: get sued by the BBC <laughs> we, have to, we have to shut it down. All right. Okay. Well, that was that was quote that was unquote fun, <laughs> but just by one twat. <laughs> one twat. No waiting. Uh, all right. How was that, Amon? Did you? Did I cover it? Okay. Did I did I explain it correctly?
3: I enjoyed the first forty seconds more than I did the last twenty seconds, and I hope James Dyer <laughs> was paying close attention to those first forty <laughs> seconds in particular, as you noted know, the comic I did. Book history. Oh, the the first 40 seconds where Batman
1: is wildly impractic- Practical and ineffective And then of course the oh last bit where he gets down to business
2: <laughs> Let's get down to business oh my God. And do the rest of the pod
0: Yes indeed uh, Alright so if you want to have your question Read out in the Empire podcast And treat it with the respect it deserves That was a one off, we will never be doing that again Not least because my blood pressure is way through the roof now That's so See? difficult, how do you See? do that?
2: Yeah it's really difficult, I don't like it Fuck I don't hell. like it also, you can
0: swear on just a minute, whereas That's at least true. whenever I finish, I can go, fucking hell. <laughs> if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, you can get in touch with us. There's only really one game in town still because of this infernal pandemic. That means I'm not really checking my emails. Uh, <laughs>
2: <laughs> How does that work? Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense.
0: Because I can only access the Empire podcast email address through my work laptop. I don't use my work laptop when I'm working from home. So there you go. Ergo, Concordantly, fee-za-fee. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire podcast, you can do so via one method, one method only right now, which is Twitter. Get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt. You can slide into my DMs. You can reply to any of my hilarious tweets once you've stopped laughing, of course, and you can wait for a panic to shout out every now and again. Uh, or or just, yeah, be like Amanda. Amanda just replied to something and just said, hey, I listened to the show and I think this would be fun, and she has been proved incorrect. <laughs>
4: <in> her assumption.
0: <laughs> so there you go. Anyway, time now for our first guest this week. Uh, there's a bit of a, a bit of a argument, a discussion going back and forth about whether Alan Richardson, aka the new Jack Reacher, belongs in this podcast or indeed the Pilot TV podcast. Uh, but since I get to make the calls around here, he belongs on the Empire podcast. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, in fairness, I feel like this team of people have read more Reacher books yes. than the Pilot team.
0: Yes. That is Although, probably true, actually. We should discuss Reacher on next week's show, which is, of course, a live show, because <laughs> that's when all okay. the episodes will be up, because, you know. Uh, but anyway... The, well, it's funny you
1: should say that, Chris, because we'll be reviewing all of the episodes on the Pilot TV podcast on Monday. So Yes, that's but, good.
0: but you could wait, and you could discuss it next week with people who know what they're talking about. <laughs> we should do that as well. I've watched it all, and yes. i loved every second of it. So. Yes, and so did Amon. We said nothing, because, mainly because it's
1: embargoed until next week. <laughs> <laughs> oh is it a bargain to next week yes <laughs> so uh,
0: I literally said nothing For, okay forget you heard that forget you heard <laughs> any of that shh 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 anywho Alan Richardson is the new Jack Reacher. The previous Jack Reacher was, of course, Tom Cruise uh, in two movies, one that was excellent, one that was not excellent. and I think the fact that one was not excellent is the reason why there's a new Jack Reacher uh, in a TV show on Prime Video, which which airs on February the 4th, next Friday. uh, and It is based on the first Lee Child Jack Reacher book, Killing Floor. Alan Richardson is the man who has been cast as Jack Reacher. Now, if you know anything about Jack Reacher, this feels like an almost impossible task. Jack Reacher is six foot five inches tall. He is 250 pounds, sometimes 230 pounds, but as he gets older, 250 pounds, that diet of his, My God, how is he keeping all that muscle? Anyway, uh, he is a nomadic drifter who walks around America and occasionally Europe, uh, right wrongs, which mainly means hitting people with a scythe and elbow and a crunching headbutt every now and again. And he is a master detective as well. Uh, He is an incredible character, an incredible literary creation. Uh, I can highly recommend every single one of the Jack Reacher books. Uh, And now we have Reacher. And uh, Reacher's play by Alan Richardson, who is two inches shorter than Jack Reacher is in the <gasps> books. But I let that go when I met him in person <laughs> last year and he came to London and uh, he, he enclosed my hand in his, in a, a hand that looked at first glance like a supermarket turkey. So he fits <laughs> the bill.
2: I was going to say, did you let it go because he's enormous?
0: He is fucking huge. <laughs> he is as wide as he is tall. Honestly, and he has these piercing eyes that just see mm. into your soul, but he's a, a ton of fun. And so we sat down and we had a good old chat, a good old natter about Jack Reacher. So here we are. The new Jack Reacher, Alan Richardson. Do please enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the star of Reacher, the new
4: Jack Reacher himself, Mr. Alan Richardson. Hello, the devil are you, sir? I'm, gr- I'm great, man. Good, 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 good. Enjoying London. It's a beautiful day. It's nice, isn't it? Blue skies. I and mean, when does that happen? This is... Uh... It's almost too idyllic. <laughs> Did you take this weather with you? Is this, this, yes, is this yes. what and happened? And I'll be taking it as I go, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. As tomorrow we, as, as we gloomy, head. as I fly away.
0: <laughs> as we head into November, Christmas, it'll be cold <laughs> and rainy, and it's all your fault. Yes. Uh, but yeah, but how's it been? Your you're, week in London, you've been here for a week now?
4: I've been here for a week, yeah. we just just, uh, we're getting started uh, with some press. So um, I think we started in uh, New York last week, and it's fun just, you know, I I've started shooting this earlier in the year. Uh, we finished a couple months ago, and uh, you know, I've I've seen a few episodes, and it's such a it's such a faithful adaptation, and mm-hmm. I'm such a fan of the books. I am as much a fan as anybody else of Jack Reacher and this this uh, franchise. So, um, I'm I'm eager for everybody to enjoy it as much as I've been able to enjoy it so far. You know, so mm. um, the fact that we're now getting to talk about it and uh, we're we're nearing the release date, um, it's exciting. <laughs> it is exciting.
0: And uh, I've seen the first two episodes. Oh, good. Uh, What'd you think? I really enjoyed them. Fantastic. I'm a big Reach fan. you just fan. saying that? No, no. I'm a big Reach fan. Look at my <laughs> okay. eyes. Look at my eyes. I see it. Okay. Eye contact. It's all good. <laughs> uh, I'm a big, big 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 your fan amazing uh, uh, yeah
4: you ne- you never look down into the left i think is that like <laughs> you, he's this is he's being honest
0: yeah i make sure that i'm i yeah i don't do that i make sure that i'm sitting with my back to you know, don't <laughs> yes. sit with my back to the door that would be bad right. uh, so you know i was watching it watching with an intense laser focus going okay is this guy going to get Reacher? Is right. this guy going to get Reacher? Uh, and there's a fight scene in the first episode where you use that scything elbow right. that Lee Child writes about endlessly. And there's just all these little moments, all these little character character moments that you're that you're hitting. But the scything elbow was a big thing for me. Right. Uh, getting Reacher's physicality, getting the the, the fighting style right. right was
4: that was that big for you? Was it a way in for you? Um, yeah, I mean, that was a huge conversation. Um, and Buster Reeves, the stunt coordinator who designed these fights, um, did an excellent job. You know, I I never once saw a fight and was like, I don't know, like, what if, what if we did it like this? You know, like maybe it should look like he just always nailed it. And so much so that it was a little intimidating. You know, I, the first time I saw him show me the fight design for the, the prison fight, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the famous, uh, like a famous five on one fight, you know, that's absolutely nuts in, um, a prison bathroom. It was hard to watch. Cause I, I, I was like, I'm not, I can't move like that. And I'm not a stranger to, to action sequences. Yeah. You know, I mean, I played Raphael in Ninja Turtles and, uh, I was a UFC fighter in a film and, um, a brawler on, on, uh, the show Titans, you know, I'm, I've spent tons of time doing fight choreography and, mm. um, and this was the first time that I was like, I Buster. I was like, dude, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I was like the way you move. I was, you, I was like, you beat him up with your shin and knee and elbow and uh, chin at the same time. Like, I don't know how you hit him with that many parts of your body. And it actually looked awesome when you did it. Um, he's like, we'll get it, you know, we'll get it. Um, so it, it was just about going back to the basics. I mean, um, just some of the most basic movements and then sort of rebuilding how to, um, maneuver, uh, You know, it was, uh, you know, it's very circular and, you know, every part of your body is a weapon. You know, there was even one, there's one fight later in the season, you probably haven't seen it yet, if if you've seen the first two, where uh, a finishing blow after, you know, just a brutal fight with me versus uh, several guys. um, I knocked somebody out with the back of my head, like a hook. It's like a, it's like a left hook, but with the back of my head. And I was like, dude, I, I was like... I can you do that? Would that actually knock somebody? You know, I mean, I had so many questions, you know, and um, I just had to surrender to the process and trust that it would look awesome and brutal and, and, and uh, you know, that it would work. And um, yeah. I think it did. I mean, I think the fights look awesome, they you did. know, and um, brutal. And really I, brutal. I think it's a testament to, uh, to Buster and his team and the stunt guys and, yeah. um, you know, and just the, 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 work that we put in, you know, but it took, uh, you know, we spent months every day, every day, I didn't want to I'd drive all the way to the stunt gym and every day I'd just be there sweating all day for months, you know, you know, but it, hopefully it was worth it, you know. It's tough because,
0: uh, you know, Lee Child wrote this character and, you know, he's larger than life in every single way. And I don't think that he was necessarily thinking that one day someone's going to play this guy.
4: Yeah. And he's talked about that. You know, he mentioned to me, he said, I never thought I'd actually see this you know in real you know i see meet reacher in real life and uh if i did i didn't think it would ever be exactly right and uh he you know he feels like this is right and that's you know the only approval i really that really matters you know and um and it's a real honor you know i mean i i too am a fan of i've, I've clung to every word he's written and um i you know i even i feel like the myth of who reacher is has grown so large in my mind that that You know, that there really is no human alive that can fill it, fill those shoes. To hear him say that is reassuring, you know, um, despite whether or not I feel like I can live up to who Reacher is, you know, (laughs) Um, and I guess we'll see what the, what the, you know, what the fans have to say, but um, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's just been, yeah, it's just such an honor and, uh, and, and to, to feel like we may be getting this right. Uh, It's the right medium to tell this story. We've got enough time to really, you know, demonstrate who, uh, this character is and talk about wh- why this, this event matters, you know, um, over eight episodes in the first season. Um, it's the right way to tell this story and to get to know these characters, you know. Um, it's, there's nothing rushed about it. We're not trying to pack an entire book into two hours, you know. So this is just, it's a fortuitous time um, for, for everybody involved, I think. And uh, I think the fans will be the beneficiary of that. It's,
0: it's, it's very much like Richard himself, the, the show, because it's, it's gentle. It takes its time, yeah, it and then it explodes into violence, right? Just when you would just be least expect it.
4: Yeah, I think that's the fun of the book. You know, if you haven't read the books, I think one of my favorite things about it is the pace, as you mentioned. it you just when once you're familiar with the book, you realize there's a sort of a model, a formula that's followed, where you've got this slow burn, where you watch Reacher break down. Uh, a case and he slowly works his way through the mystery and uh, often violently, but there's always this final battle, this final sequence that you're building to the entire book. And by the time you get there, there's so much anticipation for him to, uh, to, to you know, to violently destroy the antagonists, uh, you know, usually <laughs> plural in some way. And it's always done in such a satisfying way because he's so brutal and there, he doesn't follow the same rules that we do. He has his own ethos. He, he, uh, he honors his own code. And that's one that doesn't look like um, what many of us f- follow. You know, he doesn't follow the same law and and what are societal norms so um so it's brutal and uh we pine for that you know that moment and it comes in every at the end of every book and um and the show is the same way but even better because every episode scratches that itch so you know that in every episode there's going to be this moment that we're building to um and it's it's cool and it's like really fun it's a fun show i've
0: interviewed lee a number of times over the years and uh I, I suspect, I've, I've said that's in the past, but I suspect there's more than a little of Lee Child in Jack Reacher. Of course. So, of course. <laughs>
4: yeah, you can see it. I mean, he's- The attitude. But, uh, you know, and I think, I think, you know, most of that is, I mean, he's got the height. You know, Lee, Lee Child is very tall. Yeah. Um, he's, he's a bit thinner. He's a bit, he's thinner. A bit thinner. Yeah. He said, you know, Lee told me he's been the same weight. Since high school, I think his entire life you know, is impressive. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, do you work out? No, I just... Uh, he just smokes a lot. He just, he, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, a lot of avocado salads and books on yeah. the couch. It's uh, his, pretty his, his genetics should be studied. Did um, you take
0: anything from him when you, when you got to meet him
4: to inject into your version of Reacher? I, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I think the way that he kind of speaks out of the side of his mouth a little bit is like i mean have you seen you know the way that he kind of holds his face it's got he's just it's uh, it's almost like he's uh i think even mentions this in the book and this is where you start to really see lee in jack but he mentions this moment in one of the books where uh his face is frozen in a half smile like uh, somebody who's waiting to smile before the shutter releases on a camera or something. There's okay. something yeah. like yeah. that where he's, yeah. it's like, it's like frozen. It's like right the moment right before the shutter goes off, you know, like, um, but you see Lee kind of hold himself in the same way, you know? Um, yeah. He injects like these, you know, his idiosyncrasies or his uh, mannerisms into Jack throughout the, the the series and having spent time with him in person, I see a lot of that, you know? So, um, I mean, I think he's embellishing the weight a little bit and maybe the power <laughs> just a, a hair, but um, but where he doesn't have to embellish is uh, in his intellect. You know, Lee yeah. is one of the smartest guys. I'm, I'm, I can only imagine um, those interviews that you've had uh, were probably some of the best you know i mean he's mm-hmm. just a wealth of information he's very funny he knows something about everything yep. you know he's kind of a jack of all trades and um a lot of fun to talk to very curious and humble and um great guys. Uh, so um but the intellect that reacher has is uh it's um almost superhero-esque you know that kind of intellect like a batman has you know coupled with this raw power and and, and propensity for violence um but uh there's also this kind of dry sardonic humor and uh, lee has a lot of that too so yeah i mean this is you know um there was a lot of pressure meeting lee i was nervous for the first time in my life i've never been nervous meeting anybody um you know we are all one (laughs) we're all human beings and he was the first person that i even told my assistant on on the show you know that they were like "So, so lee's here this morning and he's he's looking forward to meeting you and i was like oh my god like i don't know I don't feel like I'm ready for this, you know. Like what if all the what ifs? What if I'm not who he thought I would be? You know, what if I'm not enough? What if I'm not or enough? You know? <laughs> well, it, what do you think it's he's terrifying. Gonna,
0: he's, he's gonna walk away and go, no, yeah. Stop, stop the shoot. It, stop the it. shoot.
4: Um, th- you know, and it was anything but that. You know, he was uh he was um it, he was, was so gracious and humble and kind and mm. um reassuring. And, you know, he's been um there's a mutual affection there, for sure. I'm a huge fan. Were you a fan before this part came your way? i no, I hadn't read the books, and I got involved with the books um, as the process was unfolding for the, you know the the audition process was very competitive and took over a year. Um, they w- wanted very much so to find the right guy to make sure that the fans were happy and that they got. You know they got reacher right because there's uh, been a previous jack reacher who some people thought might not have might not been have been the right the right size <laughs> the right. you know yeah. and uh and great uh, actor but yeah exactly yeah. you know but um you know they want you know this is an an opportunity to maybe um please the fans a little more in that way so um it was a long process and so i you know as i started to get closer to the end i realized like maybe this is uh this might happen i i started reading the books and 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 I'm glad I did because I, then I I mean, I had a whole different understanding of who this guy was and, and and understood why this is such an international hit, you know? I mean, it's a great character, love the books. And uh, I read all 20, at the, at the time there were 24, I read all 24 before filming uh, and the first one twice. So, um, so by the time we were filming, I was, I was such a huge fan and I was so in love with, you know, Re- Reacher as a, as a whole, you know, the, the books that, um. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure. I mean, I just was like, I have to get this right. I have to. I I see why everybody loves this so much. You know? Yeah,
0: that's fascinating. You started reading them towards the end of the process. So going into the process, what did you? What was your approach to 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 that audition? What, um, what were you playing them as? I uh I I well
4: I just I just tried to honor what was on the page and um, what people people probably want. You know, there's like there will always be a, a bit of an asterisk in the back of my mind. You know, I was humbled by this process because. Um, they passed on me and everybody that auditioned for this the first time around. There was nobody the first time uh around that uh they felt like got it right, you know, but there was a different script the very first time we we auditioned, you know, so there was a script that went out to tons of guys uh kind of everybody that maybe could have been reacher the right size or shape or whatever you yeah, know age. i just missed out I just, I you just missed missed out. oh you didn't just, get it you just, didn't just get missed get yeah man? i stood in the box and everything oh but man <laughs> i think everybody auditioned man what bro what happened i don't know um yeah so i mean so i you know i was in you know but the the the, the sides were you know so reacher says nothing in the books a lot i mean that's like a famous quote right reacher said nothing um It's all throughout the pages of the book. And that is the aspect of Reacher that they were trying to capture in the first audition. And it was a four-page interrogation scene where Reacher doesn't say anything. <laughs> so I like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this shit? Like, <laughs> how do I make this interesting? And you know what I tried to do is I was channeling, um, you know, Waterworld? Yeah. Where the guy who gets on the boat and he's like, give it a girl, I give the paper for the girl, give it a girl. I know what that we i give it a paper for the girl. He's trying to make that trade and he's like really twitchy and like super high energy. And <laughs> Kevin Costner's like trying to try, you know, trying to get this paper and not get rid of the girl uh, who's the one. I was like trying to channel that guy because he's so high energy. He's like a firecracker. And so without saying anything in my mind, as I'm being interrogated, I'm. You're vibrating. I'm the, the, yeah, th- yeah. I'm yeah. like, give me the paper. Give me the paper. Give it. Give me the paper. <laughs> the girl. I'm like that dude in my head. And um and apparently it was a terrible choice because they, um, I mean, the tape went to producers and the producers just, you know, um, no, nobody got beyond that point. It just, nobody tested for the role. It's just, um, you know, they've, and I've spoken to them about it since then. They said, no, just nobody was Reacher, but I think it has a lot to do with the audition. It just wasn't a good take it that it's not saying anything was not the right way to go. I think so. Um, so then like eight months later, uh, I get a call that there's a new script and a new casting director and minnie Marin was on board she's a fantastic casting director and she had reviewed the tapes that went to producers um so i'm lucky that i got to that point because i would have been passed over for for good um if i hadn't at least gotten that to that point but she, she reviewed the tape and uh said she thought she saw the qualities there and you know if with a different set of sides that maybe we could you know maybe we could get it right you know so so a new script came over and I was like, oh, well, this is much better. I have, I can do a lot with this, you know? And, uh, and, and at that point I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd started to get more familiar with the, with the, the books. So, um, it all came together that second time around and, and, uh, and it still took months, you know, it was, it was just, it was a uh it was it was a battle <laughs> a lot of, i mean a lot of a lot of very talented guys that would be great reachers um uh, were were up for the role and wanted it and uh but you fought them all i, I fought I them all with side elbows, elbows knees <laughs> i kicked a few in the face <laughs> um no um so it, you know it just uh, and it just happened to go my way so
0: um did you at any point go to the look reacher richson it's
4: right there it's, yeah, come on uh, yeah it's basically the same name <laughs> it's come on um, yeah, so I, you know, but I, I I, didn't, you know, I thought maybe it has to do with the the physicality, maybe I'm not big enough, like maybe, I don't know, you know, I just, there's a million reasons why maybe you will be or won't be right for a role like this, and it's, um, you know, the, the, the size of this myth has grown so large, it's just hard for anybody to live up to it, I wasn't, you know, I was like, okay, you know, um, and uh and you know and and, and the, the the size uh you know because this was all done over zoom this was during the pandemic um so you know normally you screen test in person in front of real cameras sometimes with you know other other actors if they're cast at that point you know i mean you you really play out these scenes and and you meet all the producers all the executives the studio the network you know you're meeting everybody and they know there there are no questions as to who you are as a person what you're going to be like um on set you know uh all, all that is answered by the time um you know you, you you're cast usually um for 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 these kind of roles and uh they f- flew me out to LA for the screen test, and they're, you know, this was before the nasal swab, I think, even. And they're, they're like, I think we need to take a blood sample oh to God. see if you have, co- you know, to bring you in. And so they're, will, will you give up blood for the, and I was like, I guess that's where we are these days. We're just, uh, it's we're really bleeding for these roles now. That's uh, I like that it's uh, becoming literal. I guess <laughs> it's really bleeding for the art. Yeah, and I said, yeah, I would. I was like, yeah, I guess if that's what we got to do. And um, and I then I sat in a hotel room for a couple more days while they hemmed and hawed, and eventually they decided. They weren't sure about the legality of it. So I don't know. This is, so I'm not sure <laughs> what this
0: Sent a guy to stab
4: you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got, st- I just got stabbed by some dude in the hallway. Is that you guys? <laughs> that's, that's totally legal. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's Amazon. Fine. He belongs to Amazon. Yeah. So, uh, no. So, uh, so I, so they eventually sent me home because they were like, actually, they decided they're not going to take a blood sample and they're just not going to, they're just going to do this over Zoom. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of like, get out a tape measure and take pictures of you, you barefoot in underwear, you know, with up against a wall the with a same tape thing. measure. Like I wanted, to, yeah, you do the same thing. I got the same thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. It's just weird. It got an email yeah. going.
4: And did it go further? And then the producer's like, now you, now we got to pictures. A, I didn't hear back. Oh man. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened. I, I know, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, there was, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure to, Perform wow. from, from far, yeah. So
0: they're, they're making you, you know, these are hoops that you're jumping through. Yeah, hoops.
4: But you know, all that to, say, to go back to your other question about, you know, there, this there being an asterisk. I'd already in my mind, I'd already been passed over once. There was a million questions about my size. Are you the right size? Are you the right height? Um, prove it. You know, there, there was just a lot of uncertainty and you could tell there was sort of a fear of them getting it wrong or me showing up and not being exactly what I said I was, you know? Um, um, so I, you know, I, I wanted to reassure them that I wasn't, that I was telling the truth about what I would bring to this, what, what I had to offer, just, you know, whatever, how big mm. I am, you know, but, um, mm. um, but yeah, so it, for me, it was, it was nerve wracking showing up and seeing, meeting producers on set for the first time, because I was in Toronto uh finish I finished a show um there we were shooting Titans and uh and then I stayed I couldn't leave because of the quarantine requirements so I needed to stay and we just rolled right into production on Reacher. So I was there already, rolled right into prep. I'd been learning the fights. We'd been like involved and and it was closer to production to uh, principal photography that producers started showing up for the first time and I hadn't met any of them in person and I was terrified that like they'd be like, ah oh, shit, you're like an inch shorter than we need, man. You're you you're out of here. <laughs> And I was sure. I was just sure because they, you know, because there were so many things that had already happened that was, you know, where they were, you know, I just was always wondering if, and all that is in the past. All that's behind us. You know, as we started filming, um, you know, I knew that we were, I knew that it was right when two weeks in there were no producers left on set <laughs> like that never happens especially because, again you'd head out of the mall and yes left they in the were dumpster. in my trunk you know <laughs> they were my drivers tr- the, 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 the back of his yeah the back of the van um no but you know as uh as producers start to feel comfortable and leave town and go back to their other projects you know that you're in you're in good shape and so right away they were like we, this is all right. This is all right. And, uh, and, and from then on, it was just, now we're just, now we're just making Reacher happen, you know, Cook up a gas. um, Amazing. and, uh, and, you know, having seen a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I'm a huge fan of the books, a huge fan of the series and I wanted so badly to faithfully honor what, what's on the page. And I think we, I think we've got it. I think the fans are going to be happy.
0: Alan, I do have the idea to go, but uh, obviously season one is Killing Floor, and I believe the idea is to do a book per season. As you mentioned earlier on, there are now 26 26- Reach books. And he's kind of aging in real time. I think he's sixty-one now in, in real life. Lee's slowing it down a little bit, but he's kind of six he's in his fifties, late sixties. All of which is my way of asking, how long do
4: you think you might be able to do this? I mean, I would like to shoot three or four of these books a year, so I'm not a hundred by the time we get done. because <laughs> uh, I want to tell every one of these stories, but we would have to advance the schedule here a little bit. Um uh yeah, and I think uh the good news is I think in the second first or second book they mention yeah, Lee mentions uh Reacher's, Reacher's hair is a, th- a thinning hair, you know? And I was, I was so, I, was, I think I cheered out loud when I heard this. <laughs> so there's no pressure here to like maintain my youth, you know, as we go through this. So I don't care, you know, I'll, uh, I'll keep shooting as long as, uh, people will have me, you know, but, um, I want to tell every one of these stories. So, um, I think you may be right about the book, a season kind of thing. And, uh, my hope is to get through all of them, you know, if I'm God willing, what's the one you're itching to get to? You know, I don't know if we're going to go in an order or not, but um, I, I was so captivated by the first, I think the first seven books. I was just like, I raced through them in, you know, a, a week and a half. And uh, I just like, at each one, I was like, oh, I'm a bigger fan uh, with each. But, you know, like Die Trying is yeah. an amazing book. Um, The Hard Way, you know, there's some great, there's some amazing books that would just make great shows. You know? I'm
0: I'm here for 61 hours. If you can get 61 hours yeah. uh, covered, you know, landscapes, oh, yeah, that's a great, yeah. bleak. Bleak endings, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally, totally here for that. Uh, Alan Richardson, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you sir. so much. Thank you. Okay, so that is Alan Richardson, and you will be able to hear what the Pilot TV crew think of of Reacher in the new episode of the Pilot TV podcast, which is out on Monday can't wait to hear what they think. So good. Uh, Pilot TV a podcast, of course, is a podcast made by Power Media uh, Entertainment Conglomeration, which owns a beloved brand range of magazine brands such as Gracia, Heat, Mojo, and Empire. Uh, the Pilot TV podcast is hosted, for want of a better word, by James Dyer and his co-hosts, <laughs> Boyd Hilton and Beth Webb, and the dearly Departed, Terry. No, not, not, not Deedly Departed because she's dead. She just left Terry White. Anyway, <laughs> Should we talk about movie news? Sure. Yeah. Let's do it. Why not? Let's Thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. What's been happening in the world of movie news, folks?
3: Prepare for combat.
0: Again. I'm um. <laughs> on. We told you, don't take your beefs into the podcast booth. I'm not fighting you. I've told you this. I can't do it. You'd beat the shit out of me for one thing.
3: At least can oh, do you mean it. Mortal Kombat, the sequel? That too. Yes. Um, okay I know that I you know probably on balance in terms of this this pod room I, I, was, I was the guy who enjoyed Mortal Kombat more than most um,
2: I liked it
1: <laughs> it's fine
3: well you say that but I remember listening to the Empire pod the pod which I was not on because I reviewed Mortal Kombat for Empire Magazine and you tore my review to shreds uh, and it still leaves me a bit scarred if I'm being honest so so I remember that. James finish him <laughs> that's it <his> fatality <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> James Dyer wins
2: <laughs> Ooh, I I saw this film I cannot remember anything there was a dude with a beard that we quite liked there was a beard yeah. man his,
1: who's the Australian dude who's Kano what's the artist's
0: name Josh Lawson best thing in it yeah. yeah
3: well no that's not true because Sub-Zero versus Scorpion was the best thing immortal combat no.
2: that, that, that bit it was. in the sort of pre-credit thing that
1: bit was alright I didn't enjoy the, the pre-credit thing C- and, C-
3: in. and in the end when uh, Scorpion comes back from the dead to fight Sub-Zero and when they're sort of f- both fully powered up it's I mean a spoiler fight. sure okay. I mean <laughs> the statute of limitations <laughs> it's they are, they're announcing sequels. the sequel it's, it, it's, it's fine
1: it's no Ivan Danko versus miscellaneous Russians at the beginning of Red Heat but you know
3: <laughs> but yeah no I, I think there's a good sort of you know basis there to build on in the sequel um and i will say this you know and james you were right to say this you know, a few months ago let's actually have a mortal combat tournament in this film because we didn't actually get that in the first film mm. uh so that's mm. that's one way that they can improve in the sequel but i'm i mean i'm excited to see it
0: i think they should introduce var to the mortal combat tournaments <laughs> that would really make it more cinematic if you had to wait for three minutes whilst a referee looked at a screen to see whether Sub Zero had ripped off Kano's head, <laughs> legally or illegally. That'd be fun. And yes, there was only two characters I know.
2: <laughs> but if it was like Hawkeye, where you get, you know, we hear the crowd going, "Oh," <laughs> you know, that that could
0: work. Yeah, bunch of people standing around, brain, finish him. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, so this is a sequel to Mortal Kombat, and the uh, writer Jeremy Slater is slated to be on board this one as well, and the first one was 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 fine. It was okay. It was it wasn't great, but it had some decent so, stuff in it. Three star film. It, it uh, officially yes. <laughs> <laughs> officially, thanks to Amon going absolutely fucking rogue, <laughs> it, is, it, <laughs> it is a three star film. Um, so yeah, so we're obviously excited to see Mortal <laughs> Kombat two. Coming back into cinemas, uh, but speaking of things that aren't cinemas, that are what are those small cinemas that you have in your living room? What are they called? Te- tele- tele- televisions. Te- televisions, televisions, yes. te- te- televisions, <laughs> televisions. Uh, so we're all massively excited for reasons that we probably can't say here, even now, two days after it has aired, about the latest chapter of the book of Boba Fett Dum <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: <God.
4: laughs>
1: Wow. He's going full 12 inch. I don't. The operation (laughs)
2: to
0: get through this quickly is going really bad. This is not (laughs) the one minute monologue. (laughs) So, anyway, for reasons we can't go into, we are excited about this week's episode of The Booga Boba Fett, uh, which I think that show has had a bit of a rough reception for many reasons. Yes. But. (laughs) This week's episode has made me excited once again about the future of Star Wars on the small screen. And speaking of the future of Star Wars on the small screen, Mary Elizabeth Winstead has joined another Disney Plus Star Wars show, The Ahsoka Tano Show, and so she'll be uh, alongside Rosario Dawson. And as someone correctly pointed out on Twitter the other day, I hadn't put this together, this is a death-proof reunion. So we can surely expect uh, stuntman Mike to turn up in <laughs> some sort of battered X Wing and, and and a chase will ensue. Very excited about that.
3: Yeah, nah, me too. Uh Mary Elizabeth said has proven that she is very capable uh at handling action stuff not only in Birds of Prey. But what was that Netflix movie? I know James that you had yeah, time for. Didn't, yes. Yeah. Which was great. Um
2: mm.
3: yeah. Better and I really, you know, I've always been a fan of the Ahsoka Tano character because you know, I watched Clone Wars and Rebels, and she's awesome in that. And I really liked what they did in that episode of The Mandalorian uh, last year with Ahsoka Tano in live action for the first boom, time.
2: Boom, so I'm
3: excited to. <laughs> so to is see there more
2: speculation about? Is there speculation about who she's playing? Are we talking Mara Jade? Are we? Have we got a Ramona Flowers theory? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she does travel interdimensionally. From so down. yeah, It could work. Yeah,
0: she does. Um, well, Helen. You'd be delighted to know I had actually clicked off that story, uh, <laughs> because I thought we'd finished talking about it.
1: <laughs> we don't know. So, I don't
0: think we know who's playing. I don't think we know. I don't yeah. think we oh, know. No, okay. Wait, I can, I can officially quote from the, the story on um, comingsoon.net, which is for some reason why I'm honest, of empireonline.com. Winstead's character is currently being kept hidden at the moment. Ooh.
1: Ooh. Yeah, interesting. Uh, there was some very sad news this week that we should report and That is that uh, unfortunately, Downton Abbey has moved back a month. Downton Abbey: A New Era now is no longer Good coming God. out in March. We're going to have to wait until April to, 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 you know, to see the Crawleys go on holiday to the south of France. And you know, the creepy I Crawleys. Gutted. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> only some of them are creepy. This,
2: this, this feels <laughs> like just, just adding insult to injury on their part. Not only are they richer than us and have <laughs> living in a nicer house but now they're going on better holidays than yeah, us. It's
1: true. But frankly, it's, it's not true.
2: acceptable, and I don't approve.
1: The Dowager Countess inherited an apartment.
2: So the Dowager Countess at this point must be what 115. I mean, at
0: least yes,
2: yeah. Anyway, good luck to them. Have a nice time, I suppose. That's glorious.
0: Basically, Downton Abbey two is James's bank holiday. This is. Yep. He's, he's taking the day off. He's organising a, a party in his street. There'll be bunting. Yep. He'll be having yep. like canapes and, uh, and elderflower no, cocktails.
2: Not foreign canapes, just, you know. No, absolutely cream not. Scones. No. Cream scones. Yeah. Cream, yeah. yeah. cream, cream scones,
0: Helen, yes. I think you'll find. But perhaps find.
2: A nice coronation chicken or something. But that that's as exotic <laughs> as it'll get.
0: Absolutely, Helen, yes. And they'll all be gathered around to watch the, the Duchess of Downton. Yes. And Gather right. her troops. I mm. the Marchioness
1: of Hexham will probably be there. Oh, well, but of
0: course. Fingers crossed. <laughs> RSVP. <laughs> oh, Very boy. excited about that. Mm. Is I'm excited yes. about something this week. <laughs> Go on, Oh, Helen. that's that's rare news. Come <laughs> on, know. Helen. What are you excited about? Um,
2: well, of course, as we all know, um, Dwayne his rockness Johnson is making <laughs> a Christmas comedy, uh, yes. action adventure comedy called Red yes. One, which I hope is no relation to Red Notice. And now Chris Evans has joined it. It's yes. like they got my letters.
0: It's like the, the John Dwayne Rockson was sitting around and thinking, ah, this is a good idea for a movie and I'm in it obviously so that'll appeal to a lot of people but I need something else. I need something else. A little extra, something to put it over the top. I need someone who is objectively more attractive than Gene Kelly. Nope. Who can I get? Who can I get? Wait a minute, Chris Evans. I will say, uh, we've, we're, we're
2: not reopening the Gene Kelly thing which you're definitely wrong about but Kate's he closed. could have a beard and he could have knitwear in this. Oh, what now, if he's playing Santa? Is, cool. Yeah. Well, I don't know about Santa, but like is that a, I is feel that like it's gonna be a winter it's gonna be a winters themed thing. So we're yeah. you know, we could see another Aaron sweater, we could see another beard. That's gotta be good news.
0: Do you think we might see him in a sleigh at some point and you'd look up at the sky and you'd go, Evans above.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't encourage him, James. Aww. Don't encourage him. <laughs> on, a, on like another it. note,
0: I, you know, we've talked about this movie a little bit. every day's Christmas Eve, especially, I guess, especially in the world in of Red movie. One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still not wildly sure about it, but you know, Chris Evans coming on board, he tends not to make ter- terrible choices. Yeah, these he days. tends to make
2: good ones. And uh, Jake Kasdan directing, he did the Jumanji oh, yeah. sequels. He's good. All right. I, I mean, yes, the script is by the uh, script is by Chris Fast and Furious Morgan. But maybe that just means that the action will be as good as Fast Over the Five. Over
0: yeah. Yes. That's all we want for Christmas. We all, we want a stupid action comedy with incredible action starring The Rock and Chris Evans and directed by the Jumanji book. That's all we want. All we want. Yeah. There you go.
2: I mean, anybody with a Christmas movies themed podcast must be pretty excited about this one. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah.
3: The idea seems like it lends itself to uh, sort of being out of the comfort zone of both Chris Evans and Dwayne Johnson, and with Dwayne Johnson, especially after Red Notice, I'm like, you know, get this guy off autopilot, because when he goes off autopilot, he can actually do some interesting work. I still really enjoyed his performance in Central Intelligence, for instance, which does have action elements to it, but it does require something that we haven't really seen from Dwayne Johnson before. So I'm hoping this is another film in that vein, as opposed to the
1: Red Notice vein. Have any of you ever interviewed Jake Kasdan? Yes. No. Uh, Did you say to him that spooky rumbling is a distant timpani?
2: i know
1: one of my one of my things on my bucket list is to interview jake Hasden and say that particular phrase to him in the manner of the winter soldier and see what happens no uh, specifically because (laughs) i remember this from way way back in 98 when i got the zero effect dvd he did the commentary for zero effect with bill pullman and he he pointed out on that commentary that he doesn't believe anyone listens to directors commentaries at all and so to prove that he dropped this phrase word by word dropping a word every so it spread over the whole commentary. That spooky rumbling is a distant timpani, and he wanted people to come up to him and say it to him on the street to prove that they had listened to the commentary on the Zero Effect, which I have listened to in full. So I wish to I wish to prove that to Jake Kasdan. If you're listening, Jake, I have listened to it.
0: Wow. I've interviewed him twice. I've just done a search on Otter, um, so it's entirely possible Otter has missed the word timpani. But no, I have never said apparently I've never said the word timpani to anybody in any interview that I've logged Fair on Otter. Enough. So. I think he said
1: he would like donate money to charity or something if someone said that to him. Wow, so okay. if you see Jake Kasdan, that spooky rumbling is a distant timpani, yell it at him. Oh my God. Because money. I
0: haven't said that to Jake Kasdan, I haven't, I've denied and deprived charities of some money. I'm a you heartless have. monster. Oh my you are. God. You are. Speaking of heartless monsters. My God. Segway. Yeah, if the British Podcast Awards give an award for Segway of the Year, I think I just fucking nailed it. Uh, Apple TV have ordered a Godzilla and Titans series, mm. which is going to be set in what they are still insisting we call Legendary's Monsterverse. <laughs> it's never going to catch on. <laughs> I mean, we're now legally obliged to say it, so I think, <laughs> I think it, has. it has caught on. So this is going to be a, a series exploring one family's journey to uncover the buried secrets, uh, or its buried secrets, and a legacy linking them to the secret organisation known as Monarch. That's because that's what they're called. <laughs> okay. Uh, following the offensive of Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, I don't know how you do a Godzilla TV show and call it Godzilla and the Titans. And surely you have them coming in. Is Godzuki going to be in it? I'm excited about that. If Godzuki <laughs> cool. is. Uh, but what is exciting is that it's uh, co-created by Chris Black and Matt Fraction, who is a Ooh. phenomenal comic book writer. Mm. Uh, who, of course, co-created that incredible Hawkeye run that we've been banging on about recently. And... uh He and his partner, Kelly Sue who's also a comic book creator, a few years ago, they had a a birthday party for the little son, who's Godzilla obsessed. They're all Godzilla obsessed. And uh, they built him for his birthday party, a cardboard city that he then in a Godzilla costume (gasps) could destroy. And they filmed this and it went viral for a little bit. So that (laughs) has then been extrapolated. And I'm guessing that's roughly what's going to happen here. If that's what all this show is, a five-year-old kid in a Godzilla costume knocking on cardboard bu- buildings, and I'm, I'm all for that. But, but for that reason, I think we should be excited about this one, Godzilla and the Titans on the small screen. You know what else is on the small screen? Oh, The first yeah, 10 minutes. Mate, I've already won the Segway of the Year award, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, this isn't a shameless plug
1: for the Violet TV podcast. You may think it would be, but it isn't. I was just going to say, the first 10 minutes of The Matrix Resurrections is online in full in its entirety, the first 10 minutes of the film. So if you want 10 minutes of acute disappointment,
2: go on to YouTube, <laughs> oh. look it up, and, uh, and it's there waiting for
0: you. So uh,
2: enjoy. <laughs> I liked it.
0: I like The Matrix Resurrections, but you'd think you'd put something online that would make people want to watch the rest of it.
2: Hey, the first 10 minutes are fun.
0: Oh, they're not.
2: Oh, you're just so negative. <laughs> negative Nellie's
4: the
0: pair of you. Hey, speaking of negative Nellies, <laughs> Artman Animation, those famously... No, no, I couldn't make that (laughs) segue work. I've lost it. Uh, There's a a couple of really nice bits of ARDMAN news. Uh, So they have announced a new Wallace and Gromit film. Now, I'm not sure whether this is going to be a short film, as in The Wrong Trousers, or is it going to be a feature length film, as in The Curse of the Were Rabbit. But uh, Nick Park, the Oscar winning creator of Wallace and Gromit, is working on it right now at ARDMAN. It's going to be on the BBC and Netflix around the world in 2024. I'm not sure how they're going to navigate things like the sad death of Peter Salas, who foist Wallace, of course. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll obviously re foist him. Um, but that's exciting news. Wallace and Gromit, were are big, huge fans of Wallace and Gromit. Who the hell isn't?
2: And The synopsis sounds amazing. The synopsis is that Gromit's concern that Wallace has become overdependent on his inventions proves justified when Wallace invents a smart gnome that seems to develop a mind of its own
0: sold
1: absolutely,
2: absolutely. here for that
1: yeah, we'll All watch good. clearly it wasn't three laws safe
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> have we learned nothing from literally the whole of robot history
0: <laughs> uh, and in other ARPAN news, the chicken run sequel that has been talked about for a while is now officially called Chicken Run: Dawn of the Nugget and it's recast, basically, its lead pair. Uh, this has caused a little bit of controversy, not in the case of Mel Gibson, who of course voiced Rocky, the rooster, in the original Chicken Run. Fantastic film, came out in 2000, stop-motion animated, of course. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Uh, he is, he's been recast, I guess mainly because he's Mel Gibson. <laughs> so they've, mm-hmm. they've replaced him with uh, Zachary Levy. Perhaps more controversially, they replaced Julia Sawala, who plays Ginger with Tandyway Newton. Now, again, this is no... Casting no persons in Tandyway Newton. Phenomenal actor uh, mm-hmm. and great bit of, bit of casting. But the reasons for replacing Julia Sawala don't really seem that obvious uh, mm. at first glance. And it would be nice maybe to get some uh, elucidation of that down the line. Uh, I think Julia Sawala herself has uh, expressed frustration with this, shall we say, in the public arena uh, and has maybe hinted at the idea that it could be related to ageism, potentially, or the fact that she's perhaps not as famous as Tandaway Newton. She'd be really casting voice actors on that basis.
2: I think this is something that that, um, Aardman has struggled with in the past. I think they have often cast people who are not big names and then when they are partnered with Hollywood studios, have come under pressure to change that casting. It's happened a few times that we know of, it's always kind of a shame because like it should be the voice until Robin Williams with a few exceptions around, you know, a couple, a couple, of like musical stars and things in Disney history. But generally until Robin Williams, it was about the voice. It was not about having celebrity names. So this is really quite a recent development and it doesn't have to be as Peter Sellers showed in Wallace and Gromit, you know? Mm. So yeah, it's a bit of a shame.
1: But it's marketing, isn't it? Ultimately, films cost a lot of money to make, and there are—I'm sure there's some kind of arcane mathematical formula which means famous plus famous equals ka-ching. And they look at that and they think this is how we make movies. Which, so it's, I mean, it's 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 cynical, no, I, but it's I, kind I, of
2: I understand what. I understand what fame is, James. But yeah, like, I know, I know, I know.
1: Yeah. I know. <laughs> Helen, allow me to James explain the concept of celebrity to you. Uh, but yeah, but no, but it's it's you know it's those damn bean counters, isn't it? You know that's no, I, I
2: absolutely yeah. understand that. But I just I you know I'm not sure how much it actually adds to the bottom line line of some of these movies.
1: That's because you haven't looked at the formula, Helen, which equals famous plus famous but equals again- ching.
2: But it doesn't always, does it? As we Can't all argue know. argue with maths,
1: Helen. Yeah. Or,
2: you know, yeah. the Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, The Tourist, or sorry, not The Tourist, uh, The Mexican would have been a major hit. And the that Johnny Depp, Angelina Jolie film, The Tourist would have been a major hit. So it doesn't always work.
1: It's a major hit in my heart. Oh, But, so, but genuinely, so, but just from an animated point of view, like uh, one thing that always has baffled me about casting famous people in animated things is when you cast famous people in something animated and then have them do like an accent, or a so their voice is unrecognisable. So I played the game uh, 12 minutes. Have you played this, morning. Have you played 12 minutes? Or is it 11 minutes? No. It's a number of minutes. Anyway, it's an Annapurna <laughs> game, and the thing is, it's voiced by James McAvoy, Willem Dafoe, and Daisy Ridley, but both James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley put on American accents, I swear to God I would have not have known. It was either of them if I hadn't read that they were in it. Like, Willem Dafoe was obviously Willem Dafoe, but so, and I just kind of think, why pay for James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley if no one knows it's James McAvoy and Daisy Ridley.
2: Well, it's celebrity, James, isn't it? It's the formula.
1: Oh, I see what you're saying. Famous plus famous equals ka-ching. Ah, oh, Helen, you have hoisted me by my own petard. Which came
0: first, James, the chicken run or the egg run? That's true. Mm. It's true.
1: Do you know, also, also, yeah, Gary Oldman, Gary Oldman played Reznoz in Reznoz? Reznov. Someone in Call of Duty and puts on a really thick Russian accent. And it's yeah, like, why cast Gary Oldman as a Russian general if he doesn't sound like Gary mm. Oldman? But back to the formula. Anyway, back I digressed again. Uh, anything else real quick? Uh, yes, we missed last week. We did not get a chance to mention that Mission Impossible 7 and 8 have been punted down the road to 2023 and 2024, respectively, which is upsetting.
0: Yes. So this could be a formula along the lines of your famous plus famous equals ker I think that the old Hollywood maxim of it's better to release a finished film than an unfinished film. I, I don't know. Call me old-fashioned. <laughs> but I think that makes sense. You know? <laughs> Unless they just released Mission Impossible 7 and it just was like 12 minutes long. It won't be 12 minutes long, obviously, but you know, and it, it just finished mid-sentence. <laughs> that, that, maybe, that, do you think he you gets the that? briefing, but he doesn't get out of the room in time when it self-destructs and that's yes. the end of the film? that's it. And no Mission Five Impossible stars. 8 either. Five oh, no. stars. Five stars in for Mission Impossible 7. <laughs> and some very, very sad news to wrap up the film news section. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. Yes, indeed. Meatloaf, the great Meatloaf, passed away last week at the age of 74. Best known, of course, for his incredible pipes and that wonderful voice of his and albums like Bat Out of Hell and Bat Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell, and that larger-than-life musical style of his. But he was also an actor uh, as well, and he was in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. He was in the original uh, stage production, and then, of course, the film also, and had great roles over the years in the likes of Fight Club, the aforementioned Fight Club, where he played Bob, and... Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny, which, if you listen to the mid-roll advert, uh, I've already mentioned once in this week's podcast. But fuck it, I'm going to mention it again. I love that film, <laughs> unreservedly, <laughs> and he is in it for about 30 seconds at the beginning of it, in the opening song "Kickapoo," uh, you know, singing to a young Jack Black about the dangers of rock and roll. And uh, I just, you know, everyone loved Meatloaf, didn't they? They just, they just, he was, he was a one-off.
2: Yeah, he was. And, and uh, don't forget, I think, wasn't he in Spice World as well? I mean, let's not...
0: I mean, everyone was in Spice World, Helen. Well, I think you know, and I were in Spice World.
2: <laughs> we were? Damn it, I should have some Royal rejects. Also in Wayne's World, more importantly. Mm. Um, but yeah, in- incredible voice. Um, and, uh, I, you know, an amazing, amazing uh, guy to try at karaoke and inevitably fail.
0: <laughs> I'm, ne- I'm never going there. No, it's, <laughs>
2: never. <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's a very tough one.
0: I would do anything at karaoke, but I won't do that. He was an incredible personality, Marvin Day, a.k.a. Meatloaf, who passed away last week at the age of 74. And now it is time to talk about the movies that are going to be out this week in the Multiplex and on your Sofa Plex. And we're going to start with the return of the great Pedro Amoldavar with Parallel Mothers, teaming up with Penelope Cruz once again. Penelope Cruz, fire away, Helen O'Hara.
2: Yes. Um, So this is the story about two women who give birth on the same day. They basically meet in the delivery room. Um, One of them is Yanis, who's played by Penelope Cruz, of course. Um, She got pregnant kind of by accident, but, you know, it's a sort of, uh, oh, I'm getting on a bit, you know, maybe this is my last chance. Have the baby. Um, And she meets the much younger Anna, who's played by Milena Smith, who is pregnant following... uh, Well, that becomes clear during the the course of the film, but pregnant in less happy circumstances and is much, much younger, is much less ready to be sure that she wants to have this baby and and deal with it and everything else. Um, And it basically follows their relationship um, because it becomes clear that uh, something may have gone awry in the hospital um, and... It puts them into each other's orbits. It creates a, a massive, massive dilemma for Yannis's character that plays out across um, a sort of very melodramatic scenario, but one that I think w- is played very, very well by both actresses and and indeed everyone around them. But this all takes place in the context of kind of Spanish history because uh, Yannis's kind of one-night stand baby dada, um, Arturo, he's played by Israel el um, is is investigating the the Spanish civil war and the mass graves that resulted from the Spanish civil war and so through his work we start looking at the whole basically of Spanish history of the 20th century and uh, and that gives it a little bit more kind of context a little bit more depth and a little bit more resonance in terms of looking at what it means to be family what it means to create links what it means to unite yourself with other people basically so i find this really moving i think it's if it's not up there with um almodovar's absolute greatest films that is in no way a you know a diss uh, to it i think it's still one of his best recent films um impeccably played by these actresses not just um Cruz and uh, Smith, although it's led by them, but also uh, Aitana Sanchez Gijon, uh, who plays Anna's mother. Rossi de Palma makes a return to El Mother Bar films um, as Yanis' friend. Like, it's just a gorgeous sort of depiction of of these women's lives. Um, and yeah, I really liked it.
3: Yeah, I, I agree uh, with everything Anna just said. It's really, really good. And the fact that it can marry so the political uh, stuff that it does, the Spanish history with the soapy story and really make them feel as if they are one story, one of two separate things. I think it's really, really impressive. The balance of light and dark in this movie is, is great. And I really liked just to add to that, um, the score by Alberto Iglesias is beautiful. There's a lot of really great stream work in this, uh, which I'm excited to listen back honest, lonesome. So, yeah, I, I like
2: that. As with most um, of our films, this will make you want uh, a fancy apartment in Madrid. <laughs> like, <laughs> not quite as much as Antonio Banderas's Kitchen in Pain and Glory, but pretty close, mm. if I'm honest. Pretty it's close. It's a really
3: nice apartment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> lovely apartment. Lovely, lovely apartment. Uh, we gave this one four stars. Four stars then for Parallel Mothers. Next up, we have uh, Munich, The Edge of War. Jimbo, tell us about this one.
1: This is an adaptation of the Robert Harris book directed by Christian Schwochow. I'm sure I'm butchering that name and I apologise to him for that. Uh, but this is the story of the Munich Agreement, which sees Neville Chamberlain, played here by Jeremy Irons, heading over to Munich to meet Adolf Hitler, played by Ulrich Mattes uh, and uh, essentially stop... Hitler from invading Czechoslovakia and kicking off World War II. Spoiler, it happened anyway. Um, But the point is that there's some sort of, basically this is people in rooms. It's people in rooms having conversations and sliding bits of paper backwards and forwards. That's essentially what this film is. But it's surprisingly stressful regardless. So there are two old friends who went to Oxford together. One is uh, George Mackay. The other one is Yanis Nivona. Obviously, and they both uh, sort of elevated to become sort of minor level, aides to powerful politicians one obviously working for the Reich and the other one working for Chamberlain uh, and so there is a potential there is an inflammatory document which comes out showing that Hitler may shock horrid may not be on the level about wanting peace uh, and it's whether or not these two aides can avert catastrophe now the only thing wrong with this film really i would say is that the biggest spoiler of all time is world war fucking two so we kind of know (laughs) how this ends Uh, and there's no real way of getting around that and i think it probably works better in you know as a novel than it does on the screen because that just that fact that inevitability of it just leeches a lot of the tension out of this that said it is it's a very nicely shot a very nicely staged film i really enjoyed the performances i think uh where mckay and nivona are in a room together like they're Mm. like the the energy in the film is palpable. Like they have these really sort of like entrenched discussions about politics, and the desperation, particularly on the German side, to see you know Hitler brought down is actually you know it, it, it buoys you along despite the fact that you know how this is going to go. I also think it takes a little bit of a liberty with the way it maybe portrays uh, Chamberlain's involvement in this, but you know that's more one for the history buffs. I mean, it, yeah, it maybe gives him more credit than perhaps he's due. I, but, uh,
2: I think the idea of him like you you see the idea that he's like beginning to dodder just a little bit and beginning to get a bit set in his ways and not listen to people you know so i I thought that was pretty he should do a
1: podcast yes (laughs) Uh, but it's a bit where he maybe like because obviously he was roundly damned for everything that happened in munich here and this maybe hints at that he was more in on what was happening than we thought and actually it all played according to his larger plan which may or may not be true but i thought this was interesting there is perhaps there's a bit of a you know will we or won't we kill hitler plot going on in here and again we know they didn't but Beyond all that, beyond all of that, and beyond the sort of the large sort of thrust of the drama being deflated by the event that is the Second World War, I really liked it. I think there's something about this era and there's something about this particular event which maybe isn't as well known as some of the more, you know, glamorized uh, things surrounding the Second World War. But I, yeah, I found it very compelling. I really, I really enjoyed it.
2: I mean, in fairness, if you hadn't told people that this was actually historically accurate, people might have thought it was another one of Richard Harris, or Robert Harris's true. reinventions mm-hmm. of history. So that you've actually spoiled the entire film. I have film now there. just ruined yeah. the film for everyone. Okay. But yes, yeah, so
1: this isn't this isn't an alternate history thing. This is actually a historical novel. Yeah. But, but I, um, I
2: would I would agree basically with all of that. I thought it was um, really well played. But yes, perhaps lacking that one bit of tension.
1: Yeah, not much you can do about that. There really is there. <laughs> People tend to have heard of the Second World War. It's not that obscure.
0: You can always rewrite history. It has been ha- it, has it has been, been known that. to happen uh, fairly recently, uh, of course. Anyway, uh, we gave this one three stars. Three stars down for Munich, The Edge of War. Similarly hard-hitting is Sing2. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it, Amon?
3: So Sing2 uh, reunites us with Buster Moon, uh, who since Sing, uh, his local theatre, is now dominating. It's sending out all the shows. Uh, but he has dreams... Of doing it even bigger uh so he heads to uh red-, red shore city to do an audition for uh jimmy crystal who's voiced by it's Bobby totally Calivari. las vegas right if you don't remember the original sing, which I in <laughs>
0: fairness i don't i'm lost <laughs> <What>? <laughs> are oh. all these people buster moon's the matthew mcconaughey character isn't he yeah he's, he's, you know, he's a, and okay so the sing, in case people don't know is the animated singing movie it's about singing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah
2: it's kind of Pop Idol with no budget was the and idea of the first one. Mm, and, yes. Yeah, and animals. And they all sing and uh, compete for a prize, which technically yeah. doesn't exist, but in the end it all works out <laughs> anyway. And Purbuster Buster Moon saves his theatre. So we rejoin, as Amon says, with everything kind of going to plan. Mm,
1: it's Zootopia's Got Talent.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um,
3: so, yeah, uh, they go to this audition and they eventually get it once uh, Gunter, voiced by Nick Cole uh, starts talking about a space opera, uh, which <laughs> he's just, uh, he's had this idea for a while, but Buster does not know anything about it. He also doesn't know where he can find Clay Calloway, who is, uh, the person that, uh, the Jimmy crystal character definitely wants in the show. Uh, so he's got to figure all of that, all of that out whilst putting on a show uh in basically very very little time at all. So this is very much more of the same. Uh if you like to sing, I do think you'll find time for sing too. I actually really enjoy this one. It's got more of a visual pop to it because it's not just as uh, Zootopia's Got Talents, this is a full-blown space opera and they do sort of you know treat it that way visually. There's neon, there's pyrotechnics that there's laser shows, all of that is really, really cool. And I like the earnest message to the film as well about conquering your fears as Uh, every uh, character has an element of that. And they set all that up in the first half and they land all those balls in the second half and you can pretty much tell what they're going to do. But this is another film where the predictability of the story intruded on the enjoyment. I think they
1: executed it really well. So yeah, I enjoyed it the spoiler for this one is unfortunately the second world war um no <laughs> honestly like, we gave it a bit for kicking actually like uh, ella kemp not to take her name in vain gave this two stars for us but i think that's a bit harsh I, really know, so I had too. a blast with too. this mm. i thought yeah. the finale was brilliantly staged and exciting and emotionally buoyant like i you know i was tapping my little foot along to it you know even when bono comes out as a surly lion yes. i was like you know what i'm here for this um yeah it's, it's a lot of fun i like chris remember almost nothing about sing one but i enjoyed sing Two, and i I enjoyed everyone in it from Reese Witherspoon to Scarlett Johansson Nick Offerman's in it Bobby Cannavale as Mad Wolf um yeah Taron yeah. Edgerton. Taron Egerton's yeah, yeah. in the it Tisha as well
2: right everybody yeah
1: Halsey who is apparently someone famous I should have heard
0: of but she haven't She's pop um, star James
2: <laughs> yet. yeah Yeah Garth,
0: Garth Jennings of course who's the writer director of the movie and is you know it, he was on the podcast He was one of the very first people to join us for an entire episode of the podcast mm.
2: I have to agree this is a this is an easy three star movie it's yeah. very very charming but the one thing I would quibble with is there's an element in which the stakes are raised in in ways they didn't need to be there's an element that I think goes a little bit too far for this kind of film yeah um, but that aside, I had a blast, and I wonder if this is going to be the beginning of the U2 renaissance. You know, they've been kind of, you know, they've been kind of rejected by everybody since they, you know, had the temerity to give everyone a free album. I wonder if this will be the start of them, you know, the younger crowd discovering them again. Who knows?
3: They've got that's their edge. Say back. They have found what they're looking for.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah, well, that's
0: good. Yes, that's we'll scary. have to see. We'll
2: st- I think they good. still haven't found what they're looking for. To be fair, yeah. they, made it. they might.
0: They might. Do you have any more YouTube guys? I'm mulling one over. <laughs> <laughs> just the one. Oh, God. That's good.
2: Come on! <laughs> on the fly.
0: I like it. Which is also an R.E.M. track. Anyway, there you go. Uh, two stars then for Sing two, but as you can see, we're all on the same page <laughs> with, <laughs> with, with that one. And uh, Also in the two-star camp this week, just real quick, Sean Penn's latest directorial effort, which is Flag Day. We gave that one two stars, uh, but we're going to finish off the review section with Amulet which is Romola Gary's directorial debut, Amon. Amonulet. <laughs> I did consider
3: that for my squad cast name today. I don't know why I didn't consider it. It
0: would have been better than what you've gone with, but we'll <laughs> yeah, shame absolutely. you at the end of the show. Please <laughs> tell sure us about Amulet. Uh,
3: yeah, so this focuses on Tomás, played by Alex Seker Ranu. He is left homeless after a fire and is offered shelter by a nun, Sister Claire, played by Imelda Staunton. Uh, and he goes to live with a uh, woman, Magda, played by Garla, Carla Jury and her dying mother. As he gets closer to Magda, uh, he confronts his past. There's a lot of flashbacks to his past over the course of the film. And he realises the house he's living in, there's something funky going on. Uh, Q scary stuff. Uh, although it's not that <laughs> scary. And this is more of a film where the atmosphere and the dread is where the sort of horror element comes in. And the atmosphere uh, is really really good. There's peeling wallpaper. There's black mold. Uh, there's one creature in a toilet which really freaked me out. I was watching this, and he picks it up, and then I I I, I really spoiled too much, but it freaked me out. Uh, <laughs> so the, the the atmosphere is really really good. I like performances too. Alex Sekeranu, uh People Will Learn for from God's Own Country. He also starred in a film called The Bike Thief last year, which I really really enjoyed, and he mm-hmm. brings. Uh, a very good haunted element to the character, which I liked. melda Staunton is also very chilling, uh, especially as the film progresses. This is a bit of a slow burn, uh, so mileage may vary on that in that regard. And while there's a lot of, you know, <laughs> the, the, the final has a lot of twists and turns, not all of them work. So even though there's some interesting elements there, I, I didn't find the the finale to be as satisfying as it could be. But on the whole, I liked it, and I think uh, Ramona by, I'm interested to see what she does next after this.
0: Yeah, it's a fascinating pivot, isn't it? Yeah, you know, she is uh, an actress, obviously, who is best known, I guess, for her work in the likes of uh, Atonement and Glorious Thirty Nine and Suffragette. But now to pivot to directing—that's not unheard of, of course. But to pivot to directing with a horror film, and uh, particularly an accomplished one like this, that is very interesting indeed. But we gave this one three stars. Three stars, then. For Amulet. Uh, but that's now here from Romola Gary. Uh, I spoke to her after we recorded the show. So I have absolutely no idea how this <laughs> has gone by the time you're listening to this. <laughs> Hope it goes well. Here's Romola Gary. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor podcast by the writer and director of Amulet, Romola Gary. How are you?
5: I'm great. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Not too bad. It is release day, finally, for you. <laughs>
5: <laughs> my, my strange creatures are getting released into the wild
0: <laughs> this is true absolutely and it's been it's been a couple of years they've been chest in the dark for a couple of years and that must have been obviously it's been a tough time for all kinds of reasons but it must have been frustrating just having your your baby on a shelf your strange little mutated bat baby on a shelf
5: yeah. and, and, I mean-
0: and not have it out there
5: everyone's, everyone's had their sort of private COVID sorrow, haven't they, you know, oh, I can't play golf or, or you know, like, but yeah, I was, I was, um, in Sundance in 2020. So it's been a little while for the film to come out. We did try a couple of times, but then, you know, there were lockdowns. And But I'm one of the lucky ones because the film is, you know, being released theatrically and I'm really excited that we're here. And it's a great feeling to finally get to interact with audiences and talk to them and see people experiencing the film in a, in a cinema. It's amazing.
0: What what are your plans for the day? I know you're doing a Q and A later on. There's a screening later on this evening. Uh, but what are your plans? Yeah, so you I'm good-
5: trying to yeah promoting it, talking to people about it, having great conversations about it, and doing um screening tonight with a Q and A. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So are you planning to do? You see, you're obviously not going full George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Whenever I think it was Star Wars was released, they went on holiday together. That's how they came up with Indiana Jones. They were on on the beach in Hawaii, and they were just you know. Shooting the shit. Yeah,
5: if I could be in Hawaii right now, I would be in Hawaii. Like, that sounds great. But instead, but no, you're going to be yeah. at the
0: Picture House Central. That's where you're. Yeah.
5: Going to be. Instead, I'm going to be on Shaftesbury Avenue. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's kind of like Hawaii if you squint. Yeah.
5: yeah, not in not in the important ways. I would say.
0: <laughs> no, true, true. Shaftesbury Avenue in late January is not quite like Hawaii. uh But but are you planning to duck into any other screenings and and? Take in reactions? Are there any moments, obviously staying spoiler free, any moments that you're keen to see audiences react to?
5: Yeah, there's a couple of um, of moments in the film that always elicit a great reaction. I think the fi- the thing that I have really loved talking to people about it is that the film, and I don't think this is giving up too much, is something of a game of two halves. And <laughs> so there've been great kind of conversations with people where they go i really like the beginning and then i'm not so sure about the end and other people go i love the end why did i have to wait so long you know so you get this sort of amazing kind of split sometimes in people's reactions to because the aesthetics of the film kind of changed quite strongly at a certain point um but it's all been very fun and great and i mean the good thing about waiting a long time for the release is that you know my kind of like intense feeling of vulnerability that you have like cuz we you know we're in sundance not that long after Finish making the film is sort of died right down you know I'm just so happy that you know to get to talk to people about it and it it doesn't just feel like some sort of fever dream that I had or you know I had friends who I think thought that I'd made it up and I was like I directed a film and they're like sure you did you know but it's actually here in the world so that makes you much more kind of relaxed I think in Q&A's and when you talk to people about it and in interviews which has been I think a really good thing.
0: So have you, have you gained objective distance from the movie in that yeah, time? Yeah, you
5: get a lot more distance on the piece of work and you can sort of see its strengths and weaknesses much more clearly. And also I think you kind of, you develop a much better relationship with the things that work and don't work in it. Cause you think even if there are things that other people don't like, you're like, no, I absolutely am committed to that idea. I think you kind of have a, just a much greater sense of like why you did it, who you made it for primarily yourself, hopefully like, you know, that all of that stuff feels much kind of better and healthier. And I think usually that takes directors a while to kind of learn that, you know, from my understanding of talking to other directors about it, to have that sort of intense connection with your own kind of creativity and your own creative vision away from the noise, you know, but because, you know, I've had to wait a little while to release it. I've had that kind of built in a bit more, which has been really positive.
0: So, so what really works for you now uh, again, tiptoeing around spoilers, I really want to talk about this movie in detail with you, Rumble. But uh, again, and maybe another time. But what works for you now, standing back objectively looking at it.
5: Something that I've been really pleased with is the way that the kind of the, the, the thematic content of the film, which is quite a lot to do with m- male-female sort of sexual dynamic, sexual politics, and sexual dynamics, and historical kind of wrongs, but also yeah. the kind of idea of forgiveness which I kind of wanted to intimate in the script. Um, and yet I kind of myself and and um, Alistair Reed, the editor struggled quite a lot with how much to kind of fill in those gaps in the, in the edit or not, like how much to extrapolate around them or not. We really struggled with that, but they seem to have come through really strongly and really clearly when I talk to people about the film, which I've been really happy with. And also just the, you know the things like the creature work, um, the aesthetics. You know um, the 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 models and things like that, which you know obviously were a real labour of love and are hard to do in a film that's like this film is. It's not a studio film, you know. Yeah. Um, and that they have worked so well, which has been great to see.
0: I love the fact that you have made a horror film as your first as your first movie. I, I it's not a surprise these days for actors to become directors. I say it is a surprise. It is a hell of a pivot uh, to make a horror film out of the gate, uh, and of course, this is something uh, genre that you have long been drawn to.
5: Yeah, I. I mean, I think it's uh, often the case as an actor that you, you know, you get the career that you get. You know, I'm very, very lucky in the career that I have, and I've. You know, been unbelievably fortunate to work with amazing directors on lots of different projects. But I mean, had I had the opportunity to, to work on a horror film, I would have done, you know. Um, So it doesn't feel like an extreme sort of shift for me because I love them and have always been interested in horror. But it was definitely the case that the screenplays that I initially started writing after I made my short were very dark. You know, they were already very dark. I mean, maybe not completely in the horror space, but they were. And often, you know, talking about quite, dark themes in terms of the personal relationships between, you know, men and women or, you know, women and their children, you know, things like that. And obviously the horror space has been amazingly receptive to kind of the sort of societal changes, the kind of evolution that we're going through at the moment has been very receptive to kind of dramatizing those things. So um, it felt like quite a natural shift for me.
0: Yeah. But obviously, as you, as you say, the public perception of, of you as an actor through the projects that you've made over the years is Feels is very like a different. Head yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but meantime, is this something that you've been watching since you were a kid? Horror films?
5: Yeah, yeah, I have, and I mean i I suppose the range of films that I like in horror is quite. Broad, I wouldn't say that I was a fan of any kind of particular genre. Quite like a lot of the sort of European horror films, Cronenberg is my favourite director, and obviously that's a lot about the body. So you know, and transformation in the body, and you know, obviously this is the sort of like ongoing debate, and how much of that is is truly horrifying or not, or just weird. But Mm. you know, I, I guess, I it's not a distinction that particularly interests me you know i like a quite broad range of horror films you know i really love films like possession yeah i really love you know the shining and i don't sort of particularly identify with one you know specific kind of part of the genre
0: yeah absolutely and uh, and there there are certainly elements of of those movies i think in amulet uh, also and when you sat down particularly possession, I guess. But when you when you sat down to think about this movie, when you sat down to write about this movie, there, there are so there's so much thematic content. There's so much that you're hitting here and touching upon uh, the 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 topics you discussed. But also there's there are elements of the, the horror of birth that's in there as well. Um, how did you coalesce all of this into a screenplay? Where Where did you start? What was your your process like?
5: Mm, it, was quite unu- it was quite unusual because, I mean, nor- normally when when you write a screenplay, you know, you've got like pages of n- notes and and you know you have your um, breakdowns before you even start really writing. I think with this film, I just. I didn't really want to do that for a number of reasons, because I think what frightens you is obviously a tap into your subconscious. And at least, at least initially, I didn't want to kind of break that connection too much. So I just kind of went into it. I sort of did some free writing and I kind of, you know, allowed the script to kind of grow quite organically. And I think the interesting thing about that is that I did end up writing a lot about birth. I mean, obviously birth occurs a huge amount in horror films. And it usually is the, you know, is the function by which a transformation occurs or a creature is introduced into a story. But the pain of birth itself and that what that pain does or what it represents is not often the focus of those moments. Like it exists in those moments, you know, the alien bursting out of a stomach, an alien, or you know the the birth in Rosemary's Baby are pain. They're painful, but the pain itself is not the the point, as mm-hmm. it were, necessarily. So I guess maybe that was a kind of you know. Specific aspect of of my um, psychology kind of coming out because I had two. I have two children, you know. And maybe when you're a woman and you're writing about those things, that experience, you know, the the experience of extreme pain and what that does to you and how it changes you is something that kind of particularly kind of came out in the screenplay.
0: Tell me about the process of getting it off the ground. I imagine it's not easy to get a movie made in the current marketplace, and obviously pre-pandemic. But I imagine that wasn't easy back then either.
5: Yeah, it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy at the moment. But then, you know, should it be easy? Like you have to kind of, you know, be committed to telling the stories you have to tell. And sometimes there's something about that kind of, you know, the, the going through the fire a bit that makes you really committed to the project and really makes you interrogate it, which can be a really good thing. I actually didn't have too much of a hard time on this one because of how uh, much more receptive, particularly in the genre space, people are to first-time direct first-time feature directors, you know, and there's such a great history of that, of them, you know, of, of financiers knowing that they're probably more likely to see some sort of return because of the loyalty of the audience and what it offers the audience in terms of entertainment. And so they can take a bit more of a risk on on you. So I, you know, made my short, started developing features. A lot of them were, probably maybe too expensive. That was the problem. They were sort of in a mid-budget range space, which is now where the top directors in this country, you know, have to position their films. So that was an issue. And I think, you know, when I... The option of writing a drama that was extremely cheap like writing a film where it's just two people in a car like that's they're not the kind of films I I like so I was like well I've absolutely no idea how to write that kind of screenplay because those aren't the sort of films I enjoy watching so if you want to do something with an emphasis on the atmospheric with an emphasis on kind of themes on you know and on visuals and do you know then this felt like a kind of a much a much uh, more sensible place for me to start and someone suggested it to me I wrote the screenplay very soon after that Matt um, Wilkinson the producer optioned it he was one of the first people that read it we had a development process for about a year and then he brought on Damien Jones, who's the executive producer. And we started raising finance, having conversations about that. That happened, I took about sort of six months to happen. So we were shooting about 18 months after he, after he optioned it. So two years, I guess, after I wrote it, which that doesn't feel like no. a, a long time at all, I guess, for, for, for in my experience anyway.
0: You talked earlier on about, you know making something like that happen making the creature aspects of this movie work on a on a budget and how confident were you that you could pull that off because if that creature doesn't not work <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah not confident yeah <laughs> not confident i would say is an understatement. Yeah, I was really, really worried about that part of the film. Um, I've no experience working with creatures. You know, I have a, a, a number of set hours as an actor, but completely different kinds of work. You know, um, if somebody needs me to, like, have a three page scene where we're walking around and round a maze and drinking a cup of tea in a big hat, I'm fine you know like I can do that but um but yeah doing creature work was just way 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 out of my comfort zone and actually you know even the, the directors that were fantastically generous and you know I lent on for support and advice during the you know that that wasn't something that even they necessarily knew anything about so I was really out on my own but we had an amazing concept artist who designed the creature. It was really just about the quality of people that Matt got to work on the film. Chris Wallace made the creature and operated it. Then we had incredible um, visual effects enhancement because, you know, we needed to have some elements of the creature could not be hand operated on set because we didn't have the number of puppeteers to do that. And then, you know, really it just came down to, I think, also eliciting... Uh, really good reactions uh, from the actors. Because I think that it was an incredible act of faith for these actors to work with someone like myself who'd not made a feature film before. Um, And, that you know, my short is not a genre film either. To know that those moments, to sell those moments, you need them to really, really invest in what they're seeing and what they're watching. And that is a hugely scary thing for an actor to do unless unless that they know that the person in charge is like, you know, all over. it, And so there there was a a real act of faith on their, behalf to to really invest in what they're physically seeing you know in the mm-hmm. scene
0: and that leads me into just asking about how you approach this as a director and uh, is it one of those situations where you found to be the kind of director you'd always wanted to be or did, did, did time pressures and money pressures eventually turn you into a tyrant how, how does that work
5: yeah good question i think <laughs> I think what I found fascinating about about the transfer from being an actor to being a director is that, you know, it really clarified for me the things about acting that I have found difficult in the past. Because, you know, directing like if the the, you know, the whole thing about the monstrous director, you know, that's a truism for a reason, because you can't get, you know, 60 people to yoke themselves to your vision unless you allow your ego and your kind of creative vision to just kind of literally steamroller over other people. You have to make it what it's not an act of consensus, you know, like you can be open to other ideas, you can collaborate, but essentially those people have to kind of yoke themselves to your vision, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And acting to a large extent is the diametric opposite of that. It is allowing yourself to be utterly subsumed by someone. It's an act of kind of like um, total surrender, you know. And you, they, they they exist in these kinds of really polar opposite places um, emotionally and, and intellectually in terms of, you know, how you are and, how, and your interaction with other people. And so, yeah, it was a difficult shift, you know, because I think I've spent the large part of my adult life being like, okay, I have to sort of, I don't agree with this, or I don't think this is a good idea, but I have to do it. You know, you have to surrender to someone else's ideas or visions. And then, you know, with directing, you have to do, I was having to have the opposite conversations with myself a lot where it's like, you've walked away from that too early. You have to go back. You have to push harder. You know, this is about what you want, you know, like at the, at the end of the day, you are going to be the person that has to kind of stand there and go, I made this. And you have to feel like I made it, you know, it wasn't a consensus. It wasn't, you can't blame anyone else. It's got to be you, you know? So it's a really fascinating experience to have had such, to have had the opportunity to look at this art from from such kind of completely different perspectives.
0: The last thing I will ask you is, you know, you talked about how the market is receptive to first-time filmmakers. It's not always receptive to second-time filmmakers, uh, but is that the plan for you? Tell me you're not going to simply Charles Lawton this and be a one-and-done.
5: Well, I hope not. (laughs) But Yeah, it's not always up to you, sadly. But I think that particularly, obviously, you know, the example you raise isn't this case, but I think it has particularly affected female directors or that they can have these enormous gaps between their films. I think partly the problems are practical. You know, when you have, I have young children, you know, so that like the physical number of hours that I can devote to unpaid work is limited. And that's what a lot of development is it's just hours and hours and hours of working for free. But I think the thing that I have to my advantage is that I'm interested in a huge range of different kinds of things. You know, like I would love to make period films. I'm fascinated to do more adaptations of novels. I would love to work in the horror space again. I've written comedies like I have because of years and years of reading a huge range of different scripts. And I've now come to the stage where I'm like completely agnostic. Like I, I like a film if I like it. Other than that, I have no sort of particular favorites or, or then I think that that, that, that is a really advantageous thing because there's no like, you know, when your agent is like, what kinds of films do you want to make? I wasn't like, well, these ones, I was like, good
0: ones. <laughs> well, that's going to be tricky. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of, there like, lies the challenge. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot of call for good films these days. Yeah. <laughs> but I wish you all the best. I wish you all the best with, uh, with the Thanks directing. So uh, Amulet's fantastic. So, so fingers crossed. Romulet, absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
5: Cheers. Nice to
0: see you. Okay. That was Roma Gary and Amulet is out right now. And that is it for episode 499 of the Empire podcast. Woo. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be hitting episode 500. Oh, my word, folks. Episode 500. Not even going to tell you who we're going to be joined by because people may drop out. Uh, James is going to be there. Amon's going to be there. Helen's going to be there. I'm going to be there. That's I might all drop the confirmation. Out at the last minute. Helen may drop out at the last minute. The, if she is a diva. You would not believe. Uh, but Helen has to come because celebrity <laughs> plus celebrity equals ka ching. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun, folks. Uh, what I will say is, is uh, the main show sold out uh, at King's Place in London. It's happening on Saturday, February 5th. If you want to see the show, streaming passes are available via King's Place. There are still a couple of tickets left for the the first session we're doing. It's an all-day celebration. The first session is a the Great Big Empire Podcast quiz. The afternoon session is the very best of the Empire Podcast with a live three-fact structure, a live edition of the ranking, which is now Nicolas Cage. You have voted, you have chosen Nicolas Cage, and that's what we're doing, Nicolas Cage. And we're doing a live spoiler special, which, as I said last week, is Hot Fuzz. And that will be a long interview with some very special guests. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more. Not Eric Idle. In case you thought that's what I'm hinting at. It is not Eric Idle. Uh, But that's going to be very, very exciting. Uh, And the podcast, because we're recording it on Saturday next week, won't be out until either the Sunday or the Monday. So there'll be something else in its stead next Friday. So keep them peeled for something else next Friday. But, uh, oh, man. It's uh, an up and down, pride-swallowing, time-consuming siege that I never fully tell you about. It is taking all my energy and um, interest at the moment, and will drain the life out of me. But my God, folks, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mm.
2: And we have some very good guests planned. So, some yeah. very,
0: very, very good guests planned. I cannot indeed. wait for to, to find they out. They don't who these die are. In the I, next week.
3: I, I I don't know who these people are at this point. I'm I'm I'm, I'm as excited to find out as everybody else.
0: I'm, I'm not even. You know, what I'm not even going to tell you. I'm not even gonna tell you. Even if I I'm gonna say to you like two minutes before they go on stage, Amon, you have to interview this person, and then you have to you have to do it without repetition, without hesitation, and without deviation. But only for one minute. But only for yes. (laughs) That's that's her brand new pioneering way of doing interviews. Anyway, let's wrap this bad boy up because Amon needs to get an Uber to go somewhere. Um He's just arrived. (laughs) So until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning squad cast names. Ah, oh, I said we'd shame you. Mortal Kombat 2, electric boogaloo. There's even a typo in there. Amon woman, what are you oh, doing? Amonulette you know was right there. It was right there. Dear me. Okay.
3: It said electric boogaloo, and I took out the X before you locked on and I didn't put the C oh. in. That's that's how that happened. Too much anyway, information. Peace.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Peace be unto you, my friend. Uh, it is goodbye from Tech Noir, James Dyer.
1: I mean, to be fair, I was having a bit of a Tech Noir moment, but uh, in this case, it's a reference to The Expanse and not, in fact, to The Terminator. Mm.
3: See, I would take mine uh, my name over that name. At least my name actually has something to do with films and film news released this week. Ooh. Tech Noir is
1: not even... a can see what's <laughs> happening here. I'm suddenly being lit up. Um, no. In my defense, it was, either, it was either come up with something very quick and shit or leave you waiting for like another 10 minutes while I thought of a good pun,
0: and I thought know what on balance
1: technologies yeah so you just went run. for the shit okay
0: yeah all right bye jimbo bye bye, bye jimbo uh it's goodbye from buster moonfall
4: moonfall, moonfall! That's, a so that's a good name
0: that's <laughs> a good name helen o'hara Lou.
2: <Toodaloo. laughs>
0: And it's goodbye for me. Listen, I'm one to talk. I've been shaming Amon. I've been shaming James. I've just gone with Rich and said nothing. I mean, Christ <laughs> Almighty, could I have come about anything better? That is an absolute disgrace. And I'm going away now to have a very long, hard think about what I've done. And uh, you might be able to hear me next, of course, folks, on the Pilot TV podcast, which is a podcast that is produced by Bauer Media, a media conglomeration that Reputation owns- Media damn it (laughs) fuck you Helen thanks for listening (laughs) see you next week bye